This is an irregularly regular podcast recorded on the various lands of First Nations peoples. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. It is the air that is breathed, the water that provides, but ownership of the land that is stood on remains unresolved. Respects are paid to elders past and present in this ongoing struggle for self-determination and the quest for reclamation. Michael, trying my second episode of this placeholder name podcast. I'm still uh, trying to fish some uh, some suggestions from the community as to what ideal name it could be. I've heard a couple of good ones, um, but uh, I think I might try and produce a grandiose selection later on um, as a means of, of creating a name. We shall see. Uh, but I've, uh, I've got another guest for my second my second episode so um yeah uh fortunately there's still um an ability for me to attract attract an offsider and not turn this into a, a, a very creepy lone wolf effort so i've got an old mate of mine here uh, whose name's john uh, i know john from way back probably one of my oldest friends these days old uni mates um and these days that's a long time ago uh, as i shudder to think so welcome john to this podcast uh, do you want to Give a bit of a spiel of who you are that extends beyond the word John. Thank you, Michael. All right, what will I uh, say? I guess, uh, obviously, I met Michael at university when we both went to Western Sydney University when it was the University of Western Sydney. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, Michael moved on and I basically just stayed at the university and uh, worked there for in, in student unionism for a little while. Then I went and did my honours in... Um, uh, politics and ended up doing a PhD in sociology and teaching at the uni for a while. Um, and yeah, so now I'm one of those lucky people that get to uh, get to teach and study for a living. So okay. that's pretty good. And you've seen, yeah, you've seen name changes and color changes because um, they don't have the bird anymore, do they? They got, you know, it was never a bird. It was never a bird. It was meant to be um, an open book. Uh, that was an open book. That was meant to, you know, back in the, I mean, we still get it now and day. Nowadays, we usually get, um, like, the logos are about the letters. But back then, it was, yeah, it was meant to be an open book. Like, it's the pages of a book opening. It just happened to also look like a bird. Um, was that explained to you once you got paid work? Or, because as a student, that was a bird. Well, see, you and I actually go back to pre-bird day. Yeah, when that the, was when it was triangles. Yes, when the university's logo was triangles and every sort of partner campus had its own version of the triangles yeah. or their own triangle. I can't remember when it was a federated university. Then they brought in the birds. So I remember when people went, oh, my God, that's a terrible logo. Yeah. And then I remember when they wanted to get rid of it, they were like, oh, my God, no, don't get rid of the bird. Yeah. Um, and now no one ever talks about the bird. See, it's a bit like Facebook, I think. It's like whenever they update their um, template, it's like, oh, no, don't do that. It's going to mine all my information. And then later on down the track, they'll do an update, and it's like, oh, no, why are you changing it? Oh, it's going to mine all my information. So 
people just forget very quickly. It is funny yeah. though because there are some uh, IT programs that uh, you use at the university for you know um, administrative purposes. Okay. That are so old that they still have the bird logo they still uh, have the on bird. them. So it, it, it's there in the background because a lot of the times with um, the administrative programs they put together, they always say, oh, look, we're only going to use this for a couple of years and then we'll pro- replace it with a new one and then that program will stay around for, for you know, 10 or 12 years. Okay. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that, yeah. that one stuck around. But um, UWS to WSU was obviously it was a, a very much a marketing uh, plan. Uh, yeah. Uh, look, um, I don't see too much of a coincidence there between the revelation of the Wanderers, Western Sydney Wanderers logo. Uh, that came out, and then not too long after that, then the new WSU brand came along, and it's red as well. I just feel like they've just basically taken away the black and a couple of Ws, and that's basically like the new logo for the university. Well, there's a relationship between the Wanderers and, and the university. Like yeah, I know, Western Sydney. Yeah, well, well but a, a, a more <laughs> formal relationship, I think. Oh. It's a sponsorship relationship. There, there's, oh. <laughs> and there's definitely yeah. been, I know that people have done uh, work with them and, and so forth. It's interesting, though, because I always had this argument um, that there's uh, – there's no so, there was no such thing as a Western Sydney identity for a long time, right? Yeah. Um, that in reality, the people of Western Sydney, it's a, it's a, it was a label that's imposed on them from people who are not from Western Sydney, so just Westies. Yeah. But in reality, the people from Bankstown had nothing to do with the people from Penrith, and in fact, probably didn't travel to Penrith, probably didn't know them, right? Yeah. So all that they all the that combined them in that identity was they weren't from Eastern Sydney, and they all labelled Western Sydney, and the people in Eastern Sydney had no idea where you know Reesby and stuff was. Yeah, still don't. And then the university came along. So the university is one of the social institutions in Western Sydney that actually has an identity for Western Sydney, and it was probably one of the first. And then the other ones, because even the rugby league teams are not. There's no, they weren't Western Sydney. I mean, the, the Tigers have tried to be West Tigers now. Yeah. But they were, you know, Campbelltown and, and uh, Balmain, right? And Parramatta is Parramatta and Penrith is Penrith, right? Mm. There was no rugby league team. That was for all of Western Sydney. Mm. So it was the university and then it was Greater Western Sydney and the Wanderers. They are the three institutions that um, really give the people in Western Sydney a sense of a combined identity, which I think is something maybe... And maybe I've spent too long at the university, but I think that there is this idea that there is now a Western Sydney identity that the people from Parramatta and the people from Bankstown and the people from Penrith do have a sense of a shared yeah. identity now. But, yeah, I don't always think it was like that. No, uh, it certainly wasn't when it was University of Western Sydney. Um, that just felt like a, an, a, an appendix of other universities because I remember that, you know, the triangle logo? Yep. You would notice that there's a point bit that actually goes to the left. Um, that I wouldn't say that's cultural Marxism. Um, I would actually say that that's um, yeah, that's actually true. That point <laughs> actually means it's going to the west. Uh, so you see all these different symbols inside it. Um, it actually looks like a weird ass pixelated thing for all the oldies out there that can remember this. But yeah, it's like the triangle, and then it's facing west, and it's like basically it's just telling you. Yeah, we're a university. We're out here because Whitlam uh, threw some money out at the West. If you can't get into the inner city, we're out here for you. Um, and there's different options. There's like six campuses that you could choose from. 
It would be of interest to know exactly what the germ was at a point of time to suddenly have people think, okay, this is a university that's actually reflective of uh, other peoples rather than the accident of a geographic location. One of the things, you know what, uh, and maybe this, maybe this is very shallow, um, I never remember people wearing hoodies with the bird on it. Whenever <laughs> I go to, to campuses and see students, there's always lots of students wearing hoodies with the big W on it now. Like, yeah. from, a, from a hoodie-wearing perspective, much better choice for a logo. All right. Well, I think that might have been part of the, the branding consensus. It's like we must, uh, we must target the hoodie-wearing um, <laughs> student I'm imagining, the, I'm imagining the Chancellor and the Vice Chancellor sitting there going, I'm not sure about this. And then the marketing guy coming in in the hoodie going, hey, hey guys, look at this. That's it. That's the one. Definitely. Yeah, and that's it. Let's, how does this logo look on a hoodie? Let's, <laughs> we really need to see that. So, Well, but, you yeah. might be onto something with the fact that, um, that, yeah, you just told me that it's not a bird. It was an open book. Yeah. And I think there might have been some sort of uh, uh, unconscious Jungian confusion amongst the student population about that. And I think that's why it might have been um, uh, hoodie, hoodie worthy because they didn't know whether they were wearing a bird or a book. I think so. Have you been to, so obviously, we're, like we're, we're alumni and we graduated a long time ago. Yeah. Um, do you remember, we, like you graduated, it was at Parramatta? Uh, I did an honours and, uh, how did that go down? I, I, like I did my undergrad at Bankstown and then, yeah, the postgrad most, I think the fair whack of that was at pa uh, pa Penrith, Kingswood. Yeah, I don't, nah, I can't remember going into Parramatta. I can only remember going into Parramatta just to actually get the degree and I was wearing a gown and whatnot. That's it, the graduation ceremony. So okay. Because that, that's where they got the big auditorium. Yes. There was a few years where they were refurbing it or something and they, they people were going and graduating like from um, like a community uh, hall or something. No, that's the wrong thing. Like a big venue out in the Hills District. Um, wasn't Hillsong, was it? Wasn't Hillsong. Okay. Um, I don't even, is Hillsong in the Hills District? Is That's not where it got its name. Anyway, Feels I don't. like it. Um, but yeah, so so that, so the Parramatta campus now, which obviously has that, um, you know, convict heritage and it's, you know, a special place and, you know, the university bought it for a dollar and, and yeah. had to uh, look after it. Yeah. That campus there is where they do the graduations and yeah. there's a gigantic big W there, right? Yeah, um, they pasted that in the tower, didn't they? Like the building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's near the... Uh, oh, well, they've got it on the side of the building. Yeah, yeah. But there's a big freestanding, like, W. Okay. Which is perfect for graduation photos. Like, that's the only reason it's there. Okay. So at graduation, the students will go and stand there with their mum and dads and take a photo of it. It's pretty cool. Okay. Um, I, quite, I quite like it. I'm a bit of a sucker for graduations. I um, Because of, of here and here at that campus, we, we teach lots and lots of different degrees here at this campus. Yeah. So, um, and my role as... as the academic director i go to graduations for lots of different degrees so usually if you're an academic staff member of the university unless you're in the higher level you're a dvc or a you know um a, pro vice a deputy vice chancellor or you're okay. at that level or you know you probably only go to the graduations of your school yeah but because we teach like you know there's six or seven different schools that teach their degrees here i end up going to uh, all the heaps of graduations every year um and yeah i'm a bit of a sucker i get excited uh in um 
Western Sydney graduations, there's uh, obviously a lot of really proud people who are very proud that, you know, first in their family are getting their degree, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And, it, and, and there always is that sense of um, excitement, but we're in it. We're, we're dressed up, okay? This is very important, and yeah. but but just the the enthusiasm that comes from people, and it's funny because there's a, you know, when you're in a space like that, that's a bit uncomfortable, you know, and you haven't been to a graduation before, or very few of them, and you're, you know, kids getting uh, their degree. Yeah, someone has to yell out, and uh, and do you remember the old days, right? When we graduated, yeah, you weren't al- you weren't supposed to applaud when a person gets a graduation, right, when they get their degree. It was leave your applause for the end. Yeah. I, I punked that at one point, but anyway, that's a different story. Well, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. It gets punked by Western City people all the time because there'd always be someone that did yell out, you know, good on you, Jenny, or they'd clap, right, because their daughter just got a degree. Like, hell, they're not going to clap. Like, of yeah. course they are, right? Yeah. And so the uni changed that now. So now at the graduations, everyone gets a round of applause and, and the chance is actually pretty good, like, when people come up there, he, he's very um, outgoing okay. and makes them feel very comfortable. So, uh, yeah, so it's, I, I, I really like it. I mean, it's one of those things that I think does make Western Sydney University. Embracing that identity. Well, it's interesting. I was going to ask you, right, because I'm, I'm not objective, obviously. Like, I've just had a big you know, go about how wonderful it is when students Well, you're going to ask me city. something. I'm not exactly the most objective either. You, you <laughs> well, riff about the idea of first in your family you get a degree and it's like, hey, yeah, I'm first in my family, get one and two, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, but you, so where I'm different from you, right, is that I have never studied at another higher ed institution, right? I did all my degrees here and, and as much as I would love to study more, yeah, I can't afford it. Right, I'm at yeah. that stage of my life where the idea of, of another hex dead would kill me. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. Just to probably to clarify out to the audience, there. I don't think I've disclosed this. I'm doing a master's in at University of New South Wales now. Uh, yeah, about 15 years after the honours. Um, that, that I'm doing that in a COVID pandemic world, but that can be another story. That's that's just for clarity. So, so you studying at Western Sydney, obviously a long time ago. And just from what we're saying, I get the idea that you still, you know, look on those days with some fondness and some sense that they helped you become who you are. Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, like, I mean, I, I came into uh, the, the tertiary sector as a student um, for uh, very different reasons to what I ended up with. Um I know that uh, during my HSC and just after it, like I was very, um, very forward thinking in the idea of becoming a federal police officer. Uh, So I wanted to get the Bachelor of Social Sciences um, as a result. And um, yeah, I think it's a bit of an embarrassing reason why, because um, the X-Files was pretty, pretty big around that time. And it's like, I wanted to be like a Mulder. Uh, but yeah, it's like the Australian version of that is like the, the federal police. Um, so, and that was just fresh out of high school. So I wasn't really sure how, um, glamorous or exotic the Australian federal constabulatory system compares to the American version. Um, but that sense was basically kicked out of my head after one year, after falling in with a bunch of lefties. I guess long story short, I went into a certain person and then I came out of it a different person entirely and uh, certainly for the best. 
So you thought you were going to join the federal police and become Mulder. Yep. I thought I was going to join the federal police and would be profiling serial killers. So okay. I came from the exact uh, and, and interesting, like both both those things, right? Clearly, are not what the federal police do, right? Yeah. But we clearly working class boys. Uh, we watched a lot of TV. We went, that looks good. Yeah. And we use that, right? That idea of these TV shows to choose our future careers. Yeah. Which we could have done a lot worse. Well, I, <laughs> well, this is this is one of the interesting things. I I, I wanted to get onto something else, but I, I like this because, um, I don't. I think I think this is how seventeen-year-old people think. You know. Yeah. And I actually think we far too much pressure on them to decide what their lives are going to oh, be when they're like, 17 yeah. and it's bullshit like look look I, I don't think uh when i was 17 that i had any idea about this job like being an academic yeah. um you know it's it's just ridiculous like like and the reality is like as we can see now in in the our lives now and probably in your experience and my experience your career you're going to move around to lots and lots of different jobs you're going to do lots and lots of different things like as a seventeen-year-old, if you go, I'm, I want to be this. Well, that's not true. You're going to end up being five or six different things. Yeah, I guess a harder truth on my end is that uh, I ended up falling into the community welfare sector. You do move from job to job, but that's not necessarily a voluntary thing with funding uh, gradually being so finite and more and more finite. Um, so you basically go where the funding is available. But this is the reality. Like I think in in your sector, it's worse than others. But this is the reality for so many people now that, um, and what's happened actually when you talk to young people about and you go, hey, the reality is you're going to do something like 10 different jobs in your life. Mm. Um, they, they positive, a lot of them are positive about it and say, that's great. It'll be exciting. I'll move from job to job. It'll be fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm sure certainly for me early on the idea that you couldn't hold on to one job for the rest of your life that you had to move either because the job ends it's a contract you're only employed casually mm. um or and this is the interesting thing now when we see the low wage growth in australian society if you want to get more money you often need to leave your job and find another job that's going to pay you more because you're not going to get very many salary increases in your current profession but what i did want to ask you <laughs> is as a western sydney graduate yeah. okay which is what we're meant to like Western Sydney. Like you don't, it sounds like you're not just graduating from the university, but from the whole region. Right? Well, I've been lied to. It's like so far I've learned out it wasn't it wasn't a bird. It wasn't a bird as the logo. It was a book. It was a book. Lies. Why? Why would it be a bird? Like what is the relevance? It so what is it? Some kind of monged book of it has a beak up the it's top. Going, rah, 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 you know. What? 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 What would a bird have? Anyway, so you <laughs> as a Western Sydney student. Now studying at another university, right? Yep. UNSW, so one of the, the you know top universities. Yeah, next to a race course, but anyway, it's well, Australian. It's it's Randwick race course. It's it's, it's pretty classy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what what? Um, how do you have you felt in that space different from the other students? I mean, is it? Am like I used to exaggerate when I talk to my students and talk about students at Sydney Uni, and and like I remember. And maybe we'll talk about this in the future, you know, when we were involved in political actions with students <laughs> from Sydney Uni. I was a bit of a dickhead to many of them, uh, pretending that, you know, they were upper class and we were working class. Yeah, I kind of continued that tradition, John. Well, that's the thing, right? 
and the reality was actually they they were many of them were as, as working class as we were as well. Uh, yeah. Many of them were. We just and, and and but they you know they just didn't um, didn't get a chance to defend themselves if I could put it that way. Uh, but okay, we'll so you explore that later. You jump. in this space. You now at UNSW, a Western Sydney boy. Yeah. Does, do you carry anything about Western Sydney with you? Is it something you're conscious of? Do you feel it, or is this? Is it see this is why I'm asking because I've never left so I, I imagine these. Yeah, um, no, it, it is a very interesting question. I think the nature of um, of tertiary education has just fundamentally changed since I last left it. So it's a 15 year gap. So I ended up with the honours at Western Sydney Bird University in 2003. Went into the workforce with community welfare. Mucked around there for. So yeah, good 15 years. So that's a generation. So starting off this, for me, it was very much a cultural explosion encounter because I remember back when I was doing the undergrad and the the honours, there was a lot more face-to-face contact. You'd have all all the physical amenities and that's where there was a lot more community contact. Coming to University of New South Wales, I didn't really notice that so much. I don't know whether that's because I was a postgrad student and because I was a full-time worker as well. So your time is actually a lot more scarce. But I would also hazard to say that I think that's the way that universities are structured these days, that you're basically there to get your, your degree and get out of there. Like that, that, that cultural aspect of hanging about with students, getting a sense of what the value of your education is and, and any limitations thereof, like can you respond to that? Do you have the power to respond to that? I don't think that's so readily apparent uh, now as it was back then. But if it is, I think it may be carried out in different ways, uh, whether it will happen online or through internet memes, or there might even be a greater connection now with um, student movements and greater social movements. Because I remember when we did stuff, it was often very much in isolation to a lot of other movements and I mean that was some of the work that we were very conscious about like how do you link up with the the unions and also the environment movement and all of that sort of stuff like that wasn't readily spelled out to us we had to actually search for that stuff and it's like it was logic that compelled us to do so but these days I think it's a lot more accessible I put that down to online stuff but I think the fact that you've got a bunch of students now that are actually a bit more switched on to all of that and Plus, they also need to as well. Like, I think, yeah, if I uh, if I took this, I don't think I'd be able to do this journey again now. Like, if I was fresh out of the HSC, I wouldn't come out of it thinking, oh, this um, modern update of the X-Files is awesome. I might become a federal police officer um, and then end up being a, a lefty rat bag with a, with a social sciences degree and then opting into an honours degree. I just don't think I could do that anymore particularly after they just recently announced that they've jacked up the price for arts and social sciences degrees. That would price me, that would literally price me out of doing that kind of study. I don't know where would be the incentive for me to go into tertiary education if I was 18 now. There are the, the, the pros and the cons, but ultimately, like, the cost of living and the ability to live and to get value out of things that you take part in so you go to university you get your degree like how is that going to serve you later on so 
when I went to West, like when I went to University of Western Sydney, I started doing those degrees. Like, of course, I wanted to go into the federal police. But the other thing that kept nagging at the back of my mind is it was going to be a potential passport to get work that would set me up into adulthood. Uh, you get married, you get the house, blah, blah, blah. Um, I got shanghaied big time after getting the honours degree because that's when neoliberalism really kicked in big time. And it also had the added bonus um, of following my passions and going to community welfare. So I found out that rather than having the job for life, the, the actual incentive was to find the job that was going to keep me going for a few years. I guess that was a very long-winded, ranty answer to your question, but I think for me it's like, yeah, where are standards now compared to where are standards back then? And I think it's probably important to kind of understand that generationally. I think with the pandemic stuff, that's going to, again, change things remarkably, and um, you're certainly seeing that at University of New South Wales. When you would attend classes doing your master's degree, a fair whack of them are international students. And that is also the way that universities are now set up, where if they, a lot of their imperative is now trying to, uh, is now based on income. And you can definitely get that through you know, uh, international students. And it's all geared to um, uh, get uni student, uh, international students matriculating as quick as possible so that there can be an ongoing revenue stream. But you've got the pandemic and uh, borders are now a thing again. Um, so you're not getting your, um, your intake of international students. So once again, I would say that in reaction, because at the moment it's pretty much reaction, unis have to restructure again. These are all the things that, um, that, I, that I am seeing right now. Lots of change very immediately, you know? I think, I think one of the things that's definitely changed since we were students is, and it actually was changing while we were students, was uh, is the students' time, what they have to do in regards to their lives. So Yeah, know, um, there's no fucking around anymore. Well, you just can't afford it. Like there's the, the government support for, for financial support for study is, is, is not very strong. Uh, you know, we used to be able to get Oz study and some supports. Um, students have to work. So my experience with what it's like to be a student now, like the ones I teach compared to me is many of them just don't have the, the luxury to be able to hang around a campus. Mm. So I remember when we were at Bankstown, um, you know, we, at the beginning of our time at Bankstown, there was a vibrant uh, bar scene there. You know, we, we did a lot of cool things down at the bar. We had fun. We ran trivia, you know, mm. uh, we had bands. It, it was a, it was a nexus for, for people at the campus to go. Yeah. It's about that, that student life. And yeah. by the time, yeah, that we're getting to the end of our undergrad years, yeah. there just wasn't, the students weren't there to be able to keep it going. And that wasn't just at Bankstown. Yeah. That was happening across all of the Western Sydney yeah. campuses. Well, what, uh, what price on cultural life, like, increasingly became uh, something that needed to behave within um, a financial language just wasn't financially viable um, never mind how much of a cultural how much cultural capital would be inferred into the into the uni campus by keeping it open but yeah it just wasn't making the bottom line so you know I do look back really really fondly on our undergrad days at that campus and the, and the things that we did and the fun that we had and yeah this is one of the things I see with my students. They just don't have the same university experience. Yeah. Um, well, there isn't that. Yeah, I just don't think there's that that 
practice anymore of just hanging out on campus. You just don't have the literal time anymore. It is the thing now to juggle your study with your work. And in many ways, I think I was very much a prototype of that back in my day because um, I had to do the juggle. And somehow I fit the activist work in there as the activist stuff in there as well. What work were you doing when you were studying? By the time I was doing mine, as I think I was juggling like three or four jobs at the time of, and also looking at full time study. So I know the big one was working in a bottle shop casually. So there was a bottle shop one. There was an office bearing role at the campus. Um, I was working behind the bar. That rudely ended when I had to close the bar down. I think um, a a couple of uh, shit-kicking things that went around at the time. Like, I think I did, uh, yeah, just that stuff where it's like when you're on uni break, it's like if anything comes up for like a few months, then you take it. Yeah. Yeah, that stuff. Oh, yeah, and I think I was helping out my mum's small business now and again as well. Yeah, yeah, that's I was kind of doing all of that and doing the study as well, and also the activist stuff. So, I was the yeah, and I suppose that's probably the the the, eth- the ethos that I've taken into um to to my to my adult world, adult life, where um if I'm going to do this activist stuff, uh, there has to be an investment. Like I have to be there, and like there has to be an urgent reason why I'm there, or otherwise I am just wasting my time because I've got so many other things going on, yeah, like yeah. literally. Yeah, I, I have my beast with the union at the moment. It's like, yeah, I just I'm just not in a position to fuck around. There to just play the game. Like if I'm going to hang around, there has to be a, a, a real urgent incentive for me to do so. And I think a lot of that was picked up through my study days for better or for worse, you know? Yeah, I remember the same sort of thing. I, I worked in a bottle shop for a long time on weekends, Saturday and Sunday, and then that gave me the rest of the time, like the weekdays, to be at uni, um, and of course, penalty rates made a huge difference. I could, I could live off, I could rent a, a two-bedroom apartment in Reesby off my working two days a week, and then the same thing when holidays would come up, I would usually go and fill in for the managers and stuff. Who would, you know, go and take you know holidays because they know I'd be available, and I could go and you know just work for two or three weeks in a row. I think. We see, I certainly see with most of my students, most of my students have got paid work um, and and it's paid work that they have to do, you know, because like I think I always remember like at uni there were some of us who had to work to survive. So obviously I was a few years older than you guys because I had done a couple of things after high school rather than uni. Yeah. Um, that age gap's not so apparent now, I noticed. It, it feels, and, and I feel weird mentioning it now. Yeah. Um, certainly because my, also my my um, lifetime development hasn't actually been very quick, you know. <laughs> um, so usually where you guys are doing things, I'm, uh, and I'm a few years older, I'm, I'm doing the same things around about. Um, so, yeah, I remember there was some people who worked because they wanted the extra money and it would help them do things. Yeah. And there's some of us who we worked because, well, actually we had to pay bills. And I think nowadays a lot of the students are working either to pay bills uh, because I think a lot of the times too their, their parents, their jobs don't pay for everything, so they've, mm. they've got to pay for a lot of stuff themselves. And too, like I can understand being 18 or 19 and thinking I better get a, a kick along with my savings because if you're if you want to buy a house and people are still have that aspiration, you, yeah. you've got to save every penny at the moment. It's horrible. Yeah. That's, that's a mindset and an understanding that I only really 
actually got my head around once I got into uni. Um, yeah. it, it, and that's something that, um, that you're definitely grateful for because otherwise it's just you're kind of you're kind of spending your time there just thinking in emotions and colours. Um, I think what uni has helped me do is actually put it into words and articulation. I think about the luxury that you and I had and again, I'm giving you more credit, right? Because where you're going from high school to uni, going, I'm going to become Fox Mulder. <laughs> I was four years older than you. I was 22 and I was going to uni <laughs> thinking I'm going to be, uh, you know, profiling serial killers. Um, this, uh, you know, we had the freedom. Like it, it wasn't, the pressure wasn't there. I, I didn't even think about my hex debt when I went to uni. The only time I thought about it was where I worried I earned too much money in the bottle shop and I had to start paying my hex back, right? That's the only yeah. time I worried about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think young people nowadays don't have that luxury. I, When I left school, I had the marks to go to uni. In fact, I got into uni. Um, I, I was intelligent enough. I was capable enough, but I wasn't confident enough. And I, and I also was coming from a working-class family who weren't doing that well at the time. I, I didn't want to be a burden and try and study. Mm. So I went and got a job straight out of at a high school. Um, and I wasn't prepared to do that. I imagine there's probably, and certainly in this pandemic as well, there's going to be lots of, of kids who are thinking, can I go to uni and put my parents under that burden or should I just go and get a job? It's, 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 I'd, the interesting thing is with the pandemic is actually a lot of people are going to go, well, I've lost my job or, or the job market actually for young people is terrible at the moment. I mean, it's really, really bad. Mm. They might have no choice but to go to uni and they might think, well, at least if I go to uni, I can I can build myself up and hopefully get a better job in three or four years' time. But that, that fee increase like, well, could just put people off. Yeah. But it's just, it's just bullshit. Like, it's just... There's this idea that there's all these engineering jobs uh, out there. I don't actually think there is. And in fact, it wasn't yeah. that long ago that, you know, when the mining boom went to a mini bus, that, that all those engineers were looking for work and had to leave the industry. I mean, it's, if any anyone, right, can predict the future of work, okay, follow their investments, okay, because they <laughs> should be making shitloads of money. The idea <laughs> that the government has any idea of what the future of work is. Yeah. The problem, and, and this is... My view of the government uh, is very much they are so under the hegemony of the mining industry yep. that they they see uh, the they see everything through that lens. Yeah. So I think when you look at them, you, they see there's a, there's two industries. There's a, a export industry that's mining. Yep. There's a domestic industry that's construction. Yep. They're the two we need to keep going, right? Everything else, who cares? Um, and the interesting, so, so with that sort of aspect, um, these are not two industries that have innovation and stuff going in the future. Like the mining industry is going to keep going. I think those two industries, that, that, that's just their myopic in that way. Yeah. That's not the future. Well, that's the current. That's the, 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 the situation. And we're always, you know. Well, that's, that's what keeps the needs of capital satiated now. But the problem is that the forces of capital, just think about now, uh, there isn't really that wiggle room or, I guess, interest to think long term. So this is, this is like, the, uh, it's clear, right? Like if, if the, the future of work, the future industries um, are going to be different than what they are now, right? That's the one thing you can say, right? The future will be different. Hmm. Um, so one of the things I'd, I'd suggest is, is 
what they're doing is they're just looking at through this lens of what is happening now, right? Mining and construction, mining and construction. Mm. They know they're going to need nurses because they always need nurses. Yeah. They know they're going to need teachers because why? Because teaching's a shit job, right? <laughs> and that's why you need more of them because so many of them get into it and go, what, this is how much you're paying me? And they leave and they yeah. go find other jobs, right? Yeah. So if the government had any idea of what the future of work is, then they would be investing money into those, right? Just look at the, the way they, the, it's clear, it is so clear across the globe that green uh, energy is, is where so many societies are going, right? And so many developing societies are jumping, you know, they're jumping over the, the, the fossil fuel development going straight to, to green energy. You know, that's not really part of the, the government's sort of agenda. I, I think with uh, with that idea of um, of construction and mining, um, I guess that it provides that crude symbolic idea of what an economy looks like. And I hope that um, if it's at least one thing that this pandemic introduces, it is new labour markets that kind of throw that stuff asunder. And it's like there is different aspects, and it's a lot more uh, dynamic. Pre-pandemic, there was also that aspect of still like an informal economy that was happening by attracting international students because that's still how universities were able to gain their revenue. Moving forward, when you look to separate the wheat from the chaff, as it were, uh, I guess there is going to be that survivalism that's going to happen. And what does that look like? Is it it going to be the loud twiggies um, that are able to carry their favour uh, within an international climate, business and political climate. Those are the unknowns. And yeah. What is the future of work? Like I'd, I'd like to, uh, to keep um, bothering you in future episodes. Uh, what do you reckon it's going to look like moving forward? We can't predict the future of work, but how can we predict the future of this podcast that's still yet to have a name? I think we probably have more success uh, of predicting the future of this podcast um, well, clearly, I love these headphones, and I get to hear the sound of my own voice. And well, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, John. It's like my headphones aren't working. <laughs> well, I'll let you in on a little secret. My headphones are working, but I can only hear myself and not you. Ah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so yeah, yeah, I, I, um, yeah, it's interesting because we sort of came to this, and we didn't really have um, have an agenda. There was lots of things that we 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 we're going to talk about and we haven't even got to like um beforehand we were talking about you know the coronavirus and certainly you came into the city to visit me and i'm in my office which i i you know come into every couple of days a week and who knows if in the next couple of weeks i'm going to be able to do that um i mean when's the last time you came into the city oh gee uh you know i think this is like my first trip into the city since the pandemic like, I went interstate a couple of weeks, or, yeah, a week ago. Um, that was probably my big adventure in the last couple of months. I've been to Brisbane before being to Sydney, mm. so within the last few months. So I think that's how it's kind of been. What, yeah. What's out there at the moment reminds me of before the government, you know, said let's lock down, everyone work from home, um, I remembered people voluntarily decided to do that. So here in this workplace, like, people were, were waiting and they were saying, I want to work from home, I want to work from home. And our, our business went that way well before the government told us to. Mm. Um, and that's what it feels like out there at the moment. Like, there's so few people out on the streets of Sydney um, because I think 
people in Sydney are aware that, you know, the infections we're seeing rising in New South Wales and certainly in Sydney. Mm. So I think a lot of us are thinking, okay, we're, we're probably going to go like Melbourne into lockdown 2.0. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't really comment so much what's actually happening like in Sydney as in the CBD Sydney. Um, I guess I will take your word for it in that um, it is still quite the ghost town in the inner city. Um, out in the burbs, though, uh, they will go back to the shopping centres. It's like if you... If there is a sniff to go back out and then shop. Oh yeah, there's no. I live in Rockdale. There's no. There's no. No difference in if I walk down the street in Rockdale to go pick up some lunch or whatever. It's like any other day in Rockdale. Everyone's around. Yeah. But here yeah. in the city, it's it's very very quiet. You know, yeah. there's very few people on the trains and. Yeah. So yeah. So look, I would love to uh, to yeah be able to catch up every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, with any luck, a uh, glass half full, there won't be the microphones to muck around with so much. Um, or will there? But but I can I can keep these headphones, right? That's, that, that, that I get No, to, no, uh, this is a voluntary exercise, John. <laughs> Sorry. Cool, cool. All right, I should really get my own headphones. This, yeah. is, this is quite a lovely <laughs> We experience. should have written this up formally. <laughs> uh, funny. Uh, anyway, uh, on that awkward note, um, I think uh, we'll wrap things up. Um, the learning curve has been sharp for me. Uh, I think I'll try and keep doing this sort of stuff fortnightly for now. Um, I guess stay tuned and uh, I'll see what I come up with in another fortnight in our other episode of uh, What the Fuck Am I Doing in a Podcast? Podcast. Farewell.